Welcome to the Bible Unthumped. I'm David Kay. I'm not a scholar of the Bible, but I've spent my entire life reading and studying it, and I've found that many people really don't understand the Bible they're thumping. So on this podcast, we get into the story behind the stories that were collected into books that became the book we know today as the Bible. You can have faith and still ask questions. This is the Bible Unthumped. Welcome, everyone. We have just done an arc of episodes on this podcast that were about Jewish history. And today, we are going to try to answer some questions that have been submitted by listeners related to these recent Jewish history episodes. Here to help me today with that is, again, my friend JT. And JT, you may remember, has a podcast of his own called Movie Life Crisis, where he and a friend of his uh, review movies that were released 30 years ago. Um, So he knows what he's doing when it comes to podcasting. I'm kind of new to this, but JT is here to help. And he's going to ask the questions today, and I'm going to try to answer them. So um, welcome, JT. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wait, real quick. Uh, this We just finished an arc of episodes, and did you say that in the next arc of episodes, we will be discussing the arc, Noah's arc? <laughs> um, yes. In fact, why don't I go ahead and reveal that... Uh, next arc of episodes, the next six that will come after this one, starting next week or whenever we release the next one, I'm going to deal with the early stories in the book of Genesis, the ones that you are probably most familiar with if you ever went to Sunday school, the stuff that was put up on the felt boards about Noah and Adam and Eve and so forth. So if you have ever been exposed to the Bible, you probably know those stories, and that's what we're going to deal with in the next arc of episodes, including Noah's Ark. Can't believe I came on here and made a well pun. Done. That was um, fun. All right. First question. I don't have a name for this one, um, but it is, what is the difference between history, legend, and myth? Can you break that down a bit for us? Yes. So obviously we've been talking about Jewish history um, and we get what we know about Jewish history in large part from the text that they wrote. And that's what we call the Bible. But um, it's important to differentiate that in Jewish literature, there are a variety of genres. Not everything you read is history, as we would today understand and write down history. So what's the difference between myth, legend, and true history? Well, when we talk about myths, we're usually talking about something that's not the facts of what took place. In fact, we're dealing with really wild and outlandish subjects. They often involve the gods or mythic creatures that never existed. And there are parts of the Bible that scholars would call myth. They put it in that genre category. There's also stuff that we would call legend. And legend is the kind of thing that you can't easily corroborate. You don't know based on what you can tell from other texts, other evidence, whether it really took place. But There's enough there that you might think there's probably a historical nugget. Something happened that inspired these stories, but they've been strongly embellished. Even when we get to what you might call biblical history, you're still dealing with with facts and stories that, while generally in line with what we can tell about the physical evidence, what actually happened in history, there still is probably a bit of propaganda or a bit of spin going on in those stories. So I guess speaking broadly, if we think in terms of myth, legend, and history, you can kind of take the biblical stories of the Jews and 
from the creation stories all the way down through Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel, the stuff that we will deal with, as I just mentioned in the next arc of episodes, the scholars would probably call that myth. Then you get to a section of material that includes the patriarchs, that includes Moses and the Exodus and the conquest of Canaan. And a lot of that, while you cannot verify it historically, you might call it legendary. There's elements of historical factual truth in there. And from the time of King David on, so from about the year 1000 BC onward, you actually are dealing with something we might call history, real events that took place. Yeah. So, like, I'm thinking this is a, not a Christian or Jewish myth, but I was just thinking, like, Icarus makes wings out of candle wax and flies too close to the sun and the wings melt. That's a myth. That didn't, that could not possibly have actually happened. It's just a story that we could take a message right. from. That's but right. but then something like biblical, like uh, first one that came to my mind is David and Goliath. That could be a legend. Like that sort of thing definitely could have happened, but maybe there's some embellishments that takes it from history to That's exactly legend. Right. And you have to, if you are unthumping the Bible, you have to be able to pull away and say, if I read the story of Icarus, just because some ancient person wrote that down does not mean I have to believe that actually took place, that there was a real person called Icarus who got a little too close to the sun with his wings. That did not happen, but it's still a part of the literature. And there's still a message that we can take from that story, but we don't have to think of it as a real event that we could have seen with our own eyes had we been alive then. And if I read a story, um, for example, about um, how the animals of the world, including giraffes from Africa and kangaroos from Australia and the sloths of South America, they all lined up in pairs in order to get on board a boat that was built by a 600-year-old man. And then the great flood came and the animals were all saved. I don't have to look at that in the same way that Icarus or Hercules or any of the other mythic stories and say, you know what, that must have actually happened because here it is in an ancient text that somebody wrote down. We would call that a myth. Did the did the people of that time draw that same distinction? Like these are stories that have a powerful message, and these are this is an actual retelling of an event that your grandfather. Yeah, witnessed. that's a great question. I it's hard to come to a conclusive answer to that, but I think most people in the ancient world would have enjoyed the stories. The entertainment of the story was part of the reason for its existing. Um, it helped explain parts of their own heritage, whether or not it was true, it sort of gave them a sense of themselves. Whether or not they actually thought it happened is debatable. Um, Obviously, there are people even today who think that Noah's Ark was a real historical event. And back in that time period, when they had much less access to source material and archaeology and biology and Um, a real understanding of the world we live in scientifically, they may well have thought, yes, that really happened. Um, But it's hard to know for sure what they thought about those stories. All right, next question comes from Reed, and he asks, was the Exodus an actual historical event? Okay, great. So this is a follow-up question, really. I'm going to think of it that way, where there is an event depicted in Jewish history called the Exodus when they supposedly were slaves in Egypt, and then through a series of miraculous events, they escaped Egypt, and um, that's part of the origin story of the nation of Israel. Did that happen? How would scholars classify that? Is that myth, legend, or history? I think in this case, we're dealing with legend. 
it is probably not the case from a scholarly perspective that the Hebrews were ever slaves in Egypt, at least not the entire community of Hebrews. As we discussed in the podcast, the Hebrews were actually derived from Canaanites. They were themselves Canaanites primarily. There is no corroborating evidence of anything like this ever having happened in the Egyptian record. And Egyptians kept pretty good records. And not only the Egyptians, but other Near Eastern people around them kept records as well. And if, for example, one of the plagues of the Exodus was the death of the firstborn of Egypt. In other words, lots and lots of people sort of suddenly miraculously died in Egypt, according to the biblical narrative. That just doesn't get corroborated anywhere. And that's not the... Yeah, you would expect the Egyptians to write down something like that. That's a remarkable, noteworthy right. event for a people who wrote exactly. down a lot that's of the stuff. point. And if there were locusts and frogs and the Nile turned to blood, you would, you would learn about that from other sources, not just from what you would read in the Bible. And that doesn't show up anywhere else. Now, that is not to say that there aren't kernels of potential history in the Exodus story. I think one of the intriguing things, I mentioned this briefly in the podcast, is that one of the tribes of Israel, Levi, they do have a lot of Egyptian names in there recorded among the the people who identify with that tribe. So there's something to that. Why is that the case? And the Levites were treated very differently. They were a type of, um, they were a priestly group within the Israelite community. So there is something very distinct and different about them that makes me think there is an Egyptian connection to their story, and maybe it simply became a part of the larger Israelite story later on. So, And is it that there wasn't an Exodus with a capital E, but there were a bunch of Exodi, whatever the plural of Exoduses is? Because the Jewish people from your episodes, as I remember, where there was a bunch of little pockets of them. There was the Northern Kingdom, the Southern Kingdom, the Diaspora. Maybe there were a bunch of Exoduses. Is that, um, is that possible? Or really it's maybe one one small tale like the the Levi people that you were talking about that kind of got, they expanded Yeah, I don't know that there would have been multiple Exoduses, but what we can say is the Egyptians did have slaves. The Egyptians did figure prominently in the story of Canaan prior to the Jewish histories being written down. So there would have been a lot of connection to the Egyptians as overlords. And there was a period of time, as we discussed, when Egypt sort of lost control of its empire. This was the late Bronze Age collapse that I mentioned. So this kind of story would generally fit into the idea of an exodus. The dates don't line up. There's facts of the story that don't line up. Um, One quick, for instance, there is that the Exodus story mentions the Philistines as a group of people who lived on the coast in Canaan. And we know for a fact from archaeology and other records that the Philistines could not have been there at the time of the Exodus. So that little tidbit is out of place for a historical account. So yeah, there's a variety of ways it could have been quote-unquote true. But what you read in the Bible is more in the category of embellish history or legend at best. Okay, next question comes from Andrew, who asks, how did the scriptures of the northern kingdom of Israel differ from those of the southern kingdom of Judah? This is a really interesting question. Of course, in the the arc of episodes, we talked a lot about these two different kingdoms, one northern, one southern. And of the texts that later became incorporated into the Bible, we do know that some of those texts specifically originated in the north and that others specifically came from the south. 
the bulk of them, in fact, come from the south of the texts that were written during those um, the period of those two kingdoms. A quick reminder that from about 925 BC until the late eighth century, you have those two kingdoms existing side by side in parallel. Um, that's before they were both destroyed. What they both had, what both groups of tribes had, were covenant laws that they believed originated with God himself. God gave them their laws, and they both had versions of that. They were not identical, but they both had them. And that's probably the closest thing they would have understood to be scriptures or holy writings. They had other writings. In fact, both kingdoms had records of their kings, and those get incorporated into the biblical text. They both had prophets that were specific to the northern tribes, the southern tribes. So, for example, and interestingly, there are two books, Hosea and Amos, and those are probably the two oldest complete books that we have in the Bible. They show up sort of in the middle of your Old Testament, but if you were putting things chronologically, those would be the oldest complete books. They were prophets to the northern kingdom. So, you do have texts that would be specific to one group versus the other. And then folks like Joel and Zephaniah, um, Habakkuk, those are other prophets, and they would have been southern prophets. So those writings would be attached to the southern kingdom. The other thing I think I would say here is actually this is a great question as it relates to another future arc of episodes I would like to do on this podcast that deals with where the source material of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those first five books, what was the source of all that material? And a lot of the different stories that you're familiar with came from one or the other. So, for example, the Adam and Eve story, which we're going to deal with in upcoming episodes, that is a southern story. That comes from Judah. But then another example of a story from from Genesis would be Joseph interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. That story is a northern story, and you actually can trace the heritage of these individual stories. So, it's a great question from Andrew. The, The scriptures or the writings, the text that we know were specific to North and South, and then later get combined into what we know when we read the Bible. This is maybe a little off topic, but it made me think of, you've talked about how there are books that are included in some Bibles, but not in others, depending on the kind of denomination. But I I don't think you've talked about it, maybe you have. Do we have any sense of how many books were at one point scriptures that have been lost entirely? Because there must have been. That is a huge question. And this really relates to later in time. We know that there were a number of books, these intertestamental books that I mentioned last week, the ones that did make it into the Catholic and Orthodox scriptures. They fell out of the Protestant version. But at the time, there certainly were many more books than the 39 that we know as Old Testament books, many more such writings. I can name a few. There was the Apocalypse of Enoch. There was the Apocalypse of Adam. I'll get into the apocalyptic stuff as a genre of literature someday on the podcast. There were the Annals of the Kings, or all of these court records that were kept, that uh, those books would have been existent at one time, and we know that because the Bible references them, but they're gone now. There would have been a wide variety of stories that were told either orally or sometimes written down that in theory could have made it into the Bible one day, that existed at the time that the other biblical writings were being recorded. Right, and maybe we're held in the same kind of regard or esteem at that point in time as the books that we now have in our Bible, because there wasn't a Bible then. That's right. I mean, an example I can think of off the top of my head is the New Testament book of Jude references the book of Enoch, 
So we know that they they placed significant value on the book of Enoch, but it didn't make it into the Bible, but it was widely used and disseminated in that time. Um, and there are probably many other examples I can't think of off the top of my head, but but yes, the body of Jewish literature was much, much bigger than what we still have today in the form of the Bible. Okay, last question from Kayla. What was the theology of early Christianity as they split from Judaism? Did their beliefs differ from those of Christians today? I think early Christians versus Christians today. Oh, so this is another, yeah, this is a great question. And of course, the last episode that we did in this arc talked about how Judaism and Christianity split off from one another. So what was it about early Christianity that's different from the Christianity we know today? I would say this, and this is probably a lot of material that, again, we will deal with in future episodes of this podcast. But during those early centuries of Christianity, say from the first century through to the fourth century, there were a lot of different versions of Christianity out there. There was not just one set of beliefs that characterized the new religion. They were dealing with a lot of really big questions that we tend not to think about anymore. Um, But one of those was, does Judaism have anything to do with Christianity? That felt like a pretty fundamental question to deal with. And there were Christians who said, no, Judaism and Christianity are two separate things. And in fact, their writings are no good and we're not going to keep them. Their God was no good. And the God we are dealing with that's associated with Jesus is a different God altogether. That was a version of early Christianity. What do we do with these writings? Which of these writings are we going to hang on to and which ones are we not going to hang on to? Can we add writings to it, which eventually becomes the New Testament when they decide, sure, we can add new writings that are about Jesus and so forth. One of the other really big questions in early Christianity was on the subject of Jesus himself. Who is this? What is this? Fairly early on, you get the idea that Jesus is divine, but what does that mean? Is he a God? Is he the God? How can he be the God if there's only one God? So to what extent is he God? Is he more like an angel or some lesser version of God? How human was he? How deity was he? That, that got debated extensively all the way through the fourth century. So that's certainly a way in which Christianity was different then than, than how it's sort of standardized today. Um, early Christians dealt a lot with sort of what, what constituted heresy. When have you said something that's gone too far? Like this is not going to be an acceptable way to present this new religion. So there were lots of questions that came up with and that were dealt with in that way. The question of Jesus coming back, we alluded to that in the last episode. Um, how do we expect him? What should we be thinking about this future version of Jesus who's coming back and what will that look like and heaven and hell and afterlife? And those were things that just simply were not well settled yet in early Christianity. So I would say a lot of the things that we say today are fundamental were still very much up for grabs in those early centuries of Christianity. Yeah, during the kind of uh, foundational time as this new, what becomes a religion of Christianity is being kind of, what exactly, what is this? What is this grouping of beliefs that we've named Christianity? What, what does it mean? What do we do? What do we not do? What do we believe? What do we not believe? And the timing that you mentioned in the last episode, I thought was really interesting. I'm wondering if you go into a little bit more detail about, you know, Jesus dies in this year and then Paul starts writing in these years and then gospels appear in these years. Would you go go through that a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, sure. Let's let's review some of the, the time frames we're talking about. So Jesus was born in roughly the year 5 BC. There is 
some uncertainty about that, and he is executed by crucifixion in roughly the year 30 AD, give or take a couple of years on both ends there. But um, So that's the lifetime of Jesus. Then you get a gap of about 20 years before what we call the New Testament, the writings that eventually get put into the New Testament, start showing up. And those first writings are those of Paul. He writes letters to his constituent followers, as it were, and those show up in the New Testament. Gospels, the first gospel we have is Mark, and that comes roughly 40 years after the death of Jesus. And then the other gospels, Matthew and Luke in the 80s, John in the 90s. So between that period of roughly 70 to the end of the first century, the gospels fit into that time frame. And then you have a number of uh, smaller letters and other letters, um, other texts that come along during the early second century. So all that we know is the New Testament were written during the late first and early second century. But the and the but specifically Paul's letters and the Gospels written by disciples all happen from twenty years after Jesus's death to maybe as many as fifty years after Jesus's death or sixty. Right. Well, <laughs> so this would force us to get into some questions about who wrote what, and um, gotcha. we'll probably save that for a future episode. But I would say most scholars would say between the year 50-ish and the year 150-ish, you have the entire corpus of New Testament New Testament texts being written. Yes, and the earliest come along a few decades after the life of Jesus. Yeah, because I, I have all kind of really maybe esoteric questions about the actual writing and dissemination of these books, and maybe that's better for a future Q&A once we get more into that. Well, what I'll say for now is that uh, regarding the dissemination of these texts, once they were written, that does not mean everybody has access to them. Everybody can read them. Everybody can put them side by side in a collation and compare them to one another. The texts start to come together in groups, but who has what and who's reading what where, including, by the way, some texts that are not included in the New Testament, some other Christian writings that were also kind of in the mix, it's not, nobody's on the same page. There is a very non-standard understanding of what texts are important and how they should be used in the Christian traditions until, again, we get to the 4th century. I keep mentioning the 4th century. It's a really important inflection point in Christian history because it's when Christianity does start to take a recognizable shape and it does start to become more standard. The variety of Christian, um, the variety of Christian religions that existed start to, starts to disappear. You start to get a standard Christianity uh, by the 4th century. Right. Emperor Constantine, and Emperor Constantine right? has a lot to do with that. Yes. Cool. I think that's all the questions we have. Okay. Well, hopefully um, this comes across as useful again. There's there's a lot that's going on here that if you are new to Bible unthumping is going to potentially surprise you. Um, it's going to be new information for you, but hopefully you're along for the ride and find this interesting. Um, next week, like we said, we are going to do a new arc of episodes, starting with one of the creation stories. And we'll also deal with Noah's Ark and the Tower of Babel, Cain and Abel, those kinds of stories from the early chapters of Genesis in the next arc. So I hope you will enjoy that and stay tuned for it. As always, thanks for listening. Less thumping, more understanding. And we'll see you next time.